Hello and welcome to Fly With Your Shadow, the podcast all about music, mental health and illness, and the mess that the COVID pandemic has made of it all. I'm Jeff Robson and this show comes to you from my home in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Over many years, Winnipeg has been a hugely successful breeding ground for great music that's gone on to great fame and acclaim nationally and internationally. Neil Young famously started his first band here. Winnipeg was home to the Guess Who and BTO as well as influential jazz guitarist Lenny Bro. Bands like Harlequin and The Watchmen started here. More recently, bands like The Waylon Jennies and The Weaker Thans went on to great success on the international stage. But for every one of those bands that's well-known elsewhere, there are dozens of hard-working musicians born or just living here that work hard to achieve local or regional success. Our fertile music scene entices musicians from elsewhere to come make a home here to take part in and learn from our incredible musical talent. Today's guest embodies a lot of that sentiment. He's a hard-working, talented performer who found a home in Winnipeg as part of that scene, even though he's originally from elsewhere. I'm Sean Burns uh, from Oshawa, Ontario, hanging my hat in Winnipeg, Manitoba, honky-tonk enthusiast, host of Earth's Greatest Country Music Radio Program. As you'll hear in our conversation, Sean came into music naturally. He's the son of a professional, hardworking musician. Between 2009 and 2014, Sean released four albums, each one more distinct and impressive than the last, and he made a name for himself on the road. Sometime after the release of the fourth one, he fell in love and found his way to Winnipeg, where he quickly inserted himself into one of Winnipeg's main hubs and training grounds for roots-based live music. The legendary Times Changed High and Lonesome Club. Ask just about any Canadian musician and they'll tell you about the legendary Times Changed. The club is owned and run by President and Janitor John Scholes, who is as dedicated a music lover as you'll ever meet. Musicians and music fans find themselves drawn to the club, finding themselves there even when they don't know who's playing, because they're assured that the music will be top-notch and they'll be welcomed with drinks and laughter and good times. Just about any night of the week, you can see world-class talent on that stage and it'll probably cost you $10, if that. Winnipeg is home to a number of incredible musicians who often find themselves touring alongside big-name musicians from elsewhere who recognize the talent and spirit of our players. One of those musicians and one of the most talented guitarists in our country is Grant Siemens. His main job is touring the world alongside Corb Lund as one of his Hurtin' Albertans. But when Corb isn't playing somewhere, you're most likely to find Grant picking world-class licks alongside a diverse list of singers and bands. Sean Burns and Grant Siemens became fast friends, and together they put together Sean's talented band Lost Country and recorded a real turning point album for Sean, Music for Taverns, Bars, and Honky Tonks. Lost Country is backed up by Joanna Miller, one of the most amazing, multi-talented, good-hearted drummers you'll ever meet, and a variety of other players. Whenever possible, Burns will take the band on the road, but he also frequently plays solo or as a duo, often alongside his longtime friend and pedal steel guitarist extraordinaire Lethbridge Alberta's Skinny Dick. 
Leading up to last year, Sean had been working on plans to travel down to Texas to make an album with one of his musical heroes, legendary pedal steel player and producer Tommy Dedamore. He's produced and worked with a who's who of American country and roots music. It was a big deal for Sean. Obviously, the COVID pandemic had other plans for him. When he's not making or playing music of his own, Sean is a longtime host of a radio show called Boots and Saddle, which is Earth's greatest country music program and number one in the highly coveted Tuesday, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. time slot. That show features beautiful country music by beautiful country music singers. That show originates on local campus and community station CKUW. Recently, Sean also joined the team behind print-only country music magazine, The Honky Tonk Times, where he writes The Northern Report, which exposes Canadian talent to a largely American audience. That column recently evolved into a podcast called The Northern Report Podcast, where Sean interviews up-and-comers and Canadian music icons. You can find links to all of it at his website, seanburns.ca, or at flywithyourshadow.com. Here's my recent conversation with Sean Burns. I drank all the red label deer until I was feeling blue. And I drowned away my memories at that honky-tonk saloon. I certainly became aware of you and got to know you when you came to Winnipeg and made that record, Music for Taverns and Honky-Tonks and Bars. But you had already had a career up to that point. You didn't just arrive brand new up to that point. Can you, can you give me the brief sort of synopsis of the guy before that? Cause I feel like certainly from the record, you're a different guy now. Is that true? And, and what was that guy like? Uh, well, I started making a living, uh, playing music, like in cover bands and stuff, uh, early 2001. So I was, you know, just uh, 17 years old. I still wasn't 18 yet. And uh, I kind of did that for a whole bunch of years, like from my late teens all the way to my late 20s. I was like, you know, jobbing around in cover bands. I did a bunch of gigs like on cruise ships uh, with bands. And, <laughs> really? And, oh man, like I'll say f- for, what you know, I did five years or so where I would go out like every winter uh, and do a solo gig out there. And like I mean, I played six nights a week, every single week for like four, five, six months at a time. I got so much better at singing and playing and and reading a room. And I was young, you know, like I was playing older people's music and like it taught me a lot. So it wasn't just like the cheesy, you know, love boat sort of situation. Like I got a lot of hours on stage uh, and, and a lot of that is because of that gig. But I would also tour really, really aggressively in the spring and the summer and the fall kind of thing every year. I was just grinding it out, man. I was just like trying to find my way. I think like I, my father was a working musician. So there was always an emphasis on like working and getting paid and you know, this is what you do. So I would play fucking anywhere. Like I would do any gig. I'd play anywhere. I would just keep going back to the same places. Nothing really made sense. I didn't really have any sort of knowledge about like a, a long term goal or presentation or any kind of businessy thing. It was just like gigging. I was just the guy that would always fucking gig anywhere all the time. And that, and that really, that helped me in the end, like build, build a pretty good fan base in certain pockets. Uh, and I landed in Winnipeg in 2013. I had just put a record out like in the spring of that year that I still think is pretty good. 
and uh and uh i was you know i just got together with my now wife like i was still just immature and and trying to figure out what i was going to do you know it was just to, trying to get to the next gig and make a few bucks but uh i stopped drinking in early 2017 uh i met grant siemens uh and everything sort of changed you know um I, I kind of got, got it together a bit and found a confidence inside me that I didn't know was there and a, a largely result of, you know, strong support system with my wife, but also uh, playing with Grant, who, you know, is, as you know, is so good. So that sort of uh, began the process of like, you know, getting an idea together about the importance of being consistent and playing good shows and making better records. And, uh, and then we made that record and, and it sort of, you know, kind of went from there. Okay. A few things I want to, I want to go back to in that, in that answer. Number one. So your dad's a musician. Was he a full-time musician or just a hobbyist? Like, was that his vocation? My old man was a full-timer six nights a week, uh, every week on the road from like 1977 to 84 and then he took a little pause because he was like, he, he's the kind of person that was uh, 100% all in with everything he was doing. And he didn't think that he could only be halfway in. So instead of just playing locally on the weekends, he decided he would quit altogether. And uh, that literally like almost killed the guy. So he, he got back to it maybe eight years later and he was full time from, you know, 92 until he passed away, which was uh, 2017. And uh, was he just, uh, he was, was he at kind of a, he wasn't a high level player that was he just playing taverns and honky tonks and bars himself? In the day he was, he was playing, you know, uh, in the seventies through Toronto scene a lot. And then on the road a lot with, uh, the kind of regional stars that I try to play on boots and saddle. He, he played with a guy named Joe Firth and Joe Firth was like, you know, had records and had songs on the radio. He would be on the Tommy Hunter show. So he had some measure of success, and they made good money playing in bars and hotels and stuff. And then in his later days, like when he kind of made the scene again, uh, when he was sober in the 90s and, and uh, he was uh, mostly doing like tribute shows, casinos and theaters. And, you know, he would he did every single impersonator around lots of Elvis, lots of Johnny Cash. But he did like Tom Jones and Tina Turner and, you know, like all of the, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis, all, all, all the, it's a big thing, you know, that, that whole circuit. So, and the, and the bands get paid to, pretty well typically. So he made a good living doing that. They were all over Canada and the States and in Europe and stuff too. And so as a kid, did you have like a romantic notion of what that was? Was it just, that's, you knew that's what you wanted to do because you'd seen your dad doing it and having fun doing it or what? No, I thought he was a loser um, for for being a musician, and I thought it was stupid. And then uh, I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to be like my dad, you know. Even even though I was like done wishing that I was going to be in the NHL, like I still, you know, I I still didn't want to play music until I got to high school. I got to high school. I started in '97. And I met a couple guys that were playing music. They're like one guy played guitar and one guy played drums. And I heard them play and I instantly knew like I could be this shitty next week and we could be in a shitty band together. You know, and I'll play bass because I because I did have a, a moment of romance with music when I was much younger, like, you know, like eight to 12 years old. And I was like really into Stevie Ray Vaughan, really into blues music. And uh, 
and uh and the radio like hits of the of the early 90s and uh, so and i put that away for a while because i thought my dad was a loser i go to high school and i meet some losers and i thought we could be in a band together so i told my dad like i want to play music and he was he was jacked like he was excited about that and uh he's like before yeah well he he was a fairly serious hockey player when he was young and his parents were like the stereotypical crazy hockey parents that kind of ruined it for their kids you know and so he kind of told himself he was never going to do that to me. And luckily I was never, you know, that good of a hockey player. So there was no pressure and he was really cool. He would just stand by himself and watch the game. But when I started playing music, that was a completely different story. Um, but yeah, he, so I told him I wanted to play and he was like, instead of going and spending money, buying a bass guitar for you, like, I'll just ask one of my friends to lend us one for a while. And if you take to it, then we'll sort you out. And so that's what happened. I had a really nice bass lent to me. And, you know, I was practicing every day and really enjoying it, too. And so a few months later, he bought me my first uh, electric bass, and it was, like, off to the races there. So when did you start making your own records and uh, sort of what was the direction? And, and uh, because those early records don't, don't sound like what you're doing now. Uh, I know you're going to think I'm insulting you, but uh, those early records sound like you were a singer-songwriter at the time. <laughs> uh you know, I made a record in high school. This is something I have ne I never talk about, man. I made a record in uh, in high school that uh, I had some teachers that were really encouraging and supportive of it. But looking back, like it was not, it wasn't very good. But I was you know I was eighteen years old and you know made this little record and then kind of just kept gigging and being in bands and I just wanted to be on the I wanted to go places uh, that I'd never been before and most of them I knew from uh, like junior hockey teams like i wanted to go to brandon manitoba and i wanted to go to moose jaw and like i wanted to play in those towns you know so i've i did that and then i did the other gigs and then once i started playing solo i i realized like uh i need to sell something to people like you know so i made the first record which was like pretty acoustic based and some a lot of cover tunes and just kind of all over the map just as something to sell and then the second record i made like thinking that i was gonna like really uh, turn some heads and uh and be respected as a songwriter and like and, and it, you know it was it was a rude awakening that i'm glad for now were you into country music at the time because i mean there's obviously some country music in your early records but the honky-tonk guy that i know now doesn't really seem as evident in those records i i loved country music like and I've said this on the radio before is like, I really thought that I was an informed country music fan, but I was really just a big fan of Buck Owens and Merle Haggard and Johnny Cash and Hank Williams. Like, you know, I was a real big fan of that. So, and I could, you know, play and sing a bunch of those tunes. Uh, but I was kind of always afraid to do that. Like I didn't realize like growing up in Southern Ontario, I didn't realize the support and the enthusiasm for the music uh, for that music that people do have out, out West. And I started to find that in those first couple of years touring. And then more and more of the material, especially the cover tunes, would be traditional country music songs. And then I wrote a bunch more in that sort of vein. And uh, and then once I, like, you know, like, I don't want to keep going back to it, but once I stopped drinking, it was like a lot of things became clear. And it was, and I had, I had begun hosting Boots and Saddle and really starting to dig into country music and the history and it was the a kind of the case of like, uh, you know, sing, like play what you know, like play to your strengths, I guess, you know, and I felt that that was kind of where it was going and, and I was becoming more and more 
enamored with the history and with the music and the sounds and and the subtleties to the sounds you know yeah and and i met grant and i hadn't met anyone up to that point that that played guitar with that authority uh, my my father did but i hadn't met anyone else that played like that and played those old licks like so perfectly and had spent the same amount of time as i did when i was young listening to that music so we really kind of clicked and it and it was like it just it just really snowballed quickly and we got along really well right away and and really met uh some common ground with the music that we grew up with and loved you've brought it up a couple of times so hopefully i can i can go there um so did you have a bit of a drinking problem like how bad were things for you and why did you stop when you did I gave it like a really consistent effort for like 15 years. Um, <laughs> you were going pro? <laughs> yeah. I became a professional in, a, uh, in my late 20s. Uh, it was like part of, the, part of the culture of the solo guy in the pub on the cruise ship, right? Is like beers or like, you know, I would hustle. I learned how to hustle drinks playing in piano bars uh, with, with, with piano entertainers. And so that just kind of became part of the shtick. And, uh, and then it just started kind of spiraling. Like when I would go do those wintertime gigs out there, I would be drinking a lot every day, like in the afternoon and then all night and then after the gig. And it was, it got really, really out of hand, like late 2012, early 2013. Um, and then it was kind of up and down. It was always, it was often like a binge type situation where it would be like, especially on the road, like it'd be a few days that were really, really hard. And I wouldn't get, I wouldn't get too out of hand at home. I was always smart enough to never get uh, like lose or drunk at the times changed or anywhere where I was, you know, wanted to play. So I would save that for the road, you know? And uh, as a result, like I still feel a little bit of guilt about some shows that I probably thought were really good, but weren't, you know? And then, uh, um, and then I was on the road with another band early 2017. Like it was winter time. There was a band that was going out. They needed a bass player. It was easy for me. I didn't have to book anything. I didn't have to make any plans. I was just going to make money to play, but it, it wasn't really for me. It didn't go well. I didn't really get along with a couple of the guys and I just, it was just really out of hand. And I was, you know, having these negotiations with myself, like, you're not going to drink until after the show. And then I would break the rule, you know, or you're only going to drink beer. Cause at that point, like a real uh, professional, I had sort of switched to, to drinking wine, like uh, out of large coffee mugs, you know, and, and stuff like that. So, so I just was like, I was anxious and I was shaky and I was sick and I don't know what was wrong with me, but uh, I knew that it was like, I had made a conscious decision the second last night, like, I'm, I'm not drinking tomorrow and then I'm not drinking for a while. And then I didn't want to say I'm never drinking again, but after a couple months, I kind of resigned myself to like, you know, this has to be, that has to be it. I'm done. You know, it was just getting out of hand. Like I wasn't like totally fucking up my life or my relationship, but it was, that wasn't far away. You know, like you, I could smell that. And I'm very familiar with, with alcoholism. It's, you know, it's, it's been around and I've been around bad alcoholics, since I was 17 on the road. So, you know, all the signs were there. And like I said, I see bands now all the time and, you know, they're really getting into it late in the night and they think that they're fucking awesome. But it's like, you know, I know what you're going through. Like you, you think you're great because you're drunk and everyone else is too. But if you weren't drunk, you'd be so much better, you know? 
And once I started to play with Joanna Miller and Grant Siemens, it was like, I don't want to be the drunk guy on stage and have them suffer through that. Like, they're not going to put up with that, you know? So I realized at some point, like, I'm not missing, like, nothing's come up where I was like, uh, that would have been better or enhanced by drinking. It was like, that would always be the problem, you know? And yeah, just understanding that I, I just am not capable to be responsible like i just don't have a civilized relationship with that kind of thing and and that's okay but it takes work every single day you know like it's it's a it's a daily thing still sometimes it's harder than other times and like you know i'm luckily you know well supported and strong enough to understand like you know that's not worth it like you know nothing's like yeah everything started to get better like it sounds cheap like cliche but it's true like everything started to get better for me so like why why mess with that but it is such a part of the culture and and i mean you're spending a lot of time at times changed where drinking is kind of the the team sport down there um so how hard is that to still be a part of that community but know that you can't really do what they're doing times change is very supportive uh to a fault. It's like, you know, I haven't drank in over four years, but if I went down and ordered a beer, someone might look at me and say like, okay, like, you know, they're, they're going to, they're not going to judge you. So it's a safe place, Yeah. but they'll also be very, very supportive. And they've been so supportive because I'm not the only one that's a regular down there that doesn't drink, you know, like Jaina Wiki. Uh, I think the reason they started having the non-alcoholic beers was, was in part because of Jay. Yeah. Uh, so they're always well stocked and they're, and they're really respectful of the situation. It's not hard. It's hard at like the end of the night or when people are really drunk and in your face, like then I, that that's tough still for me, you know, yeah. to not get soured. But as far as just like going there and not drinking it, it's no, it's, it's not, it's not, uh, that part of it isn't hard. I think I romanticize like the real ugly parts of it. Like when you're sad and alone and drinking or something, yeah. you know, and listening to music and you really think you're understanding things. It's like, you know, I think that's harder, but no, there've been very good. Uh, there's some gigs that are hard where I was, you know, for years it was like, I would be rolling into town and I would be the guy that started the party all the time. And then all of a sudden I'm not, but yeah. I still encourage it. And anyone that's in the band will tell you sometimes I'll be like, you know, I need you to have one for me right now. Like just, you know, please. Yeah. yeah. Um, go have a shot for me. Can I just watch? Uh, and so that happens every now and then, but, uh, you know, the, the truthfully, like the Genesis of, of the lost country band, not only just the material, it was like a way to provide a service of like, it's always about here we are. I want everyone to be drinking and dancing and having fun and forgetting about, you know, every shitty miserable detail of everyday life that everyone goes through and like and that's it and that's part of like let's play to our strength our strengths and it's like even if i'm not feeling good something that always makes me feel better is like is being the guy that's starting a good time and like you know because i'm lucky i don't have to i don't go to a job monday to friday that doesn't inspire me or i'm not passionate about yeah and so many of the people that come and see us do that is their situation and they deserve to have a good time. And I feel like we can give that to them. And that's kind of how the band started. So, so no, like the long answer is no, it's, it's not hard at times changed, but you know, it's something that I'm aware of, you know, tell me about like kind of falling in with that community in Winnipeg, especially at, at the times change, which has a very strong kind of built in community. Like it's a John 
schools, the proprietor and janitor sometimes calls it the, uh, the a clubhouse, like it's like it's a bunch of friends in a club hanging out, and they just happen to have them be amazing musicians. How do, how do, how does an outsider from Oshawa become a part of that community? That wasn't easy, actually. Um, and I, I kind of try to remember how I felt before. Like, I, I don't know if anyone else has told you this, but like, I mean, I, for a long time, I didn't feel comfortable going there at all. And I tried and I tried and I tried to get, get a gig there for like years, like five years. Uh, and it was like always a no, 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 or a no response. And then I moved to town. My wife's worked at the club on and off for years as well. And it was like, I was very careful about, you know, not trying to, you know, be the new guy in town whose girlfriend worked there. Can you give me a gig? Like I, I left it alone for a while. John offered me a gig there at some point, like, you know, Hey, you should come down and play on a Thursday night. So we did. And it went pretty well. And he's like, okay, you should come down and play on a Thursday night. And I, we did. And I would go to the club, like, you know, a couple times a month. I was like, I would go sometimes on Sunday, but I was too afraid to jam. And, uh, so he gave us some Thursdays and then he let us open up for someone on a Friday. And basically he really made us earn it, you know? And I think that was the way that it was there for a while. And that, and that's what, you know, inspires the bands to work harder and get better. And then they get the show there and then, and then he gives them this place to work on that show, you know, like, I don't know, that guy is a pretty special person. And, uh, uh, but anyways, you know, we, we worked our way in and then just started playing there all the time. And then I just started going there and then, you know, and then I started working there. It was just very sort of natural, you know, it was like, that's where I would go when I would get home from the road. Like if we got home before last call or something on a Sunday night, like I'd go there and it was like, everyone's happy to see you. Welcome back. Like, how was your trip? And then, you know, like, see you later. It was just, it just feels really comfortable. It began to feel really comfortable. And, you know, turns out that like all the people that you thought were way too cool to be your friends are actually just regular people who are, you know, who are your friends? Like, you know, everyone cares about each other there. It's, it's a unique place for a music venue, especially one where the party aspect of it is so present, you know? You're always, especially on stage, you just seem like this ultra confident guy. Like you just own the stage and it's, it's your place to be. Have, have you always been that guy? Uh, was it hard to develop that confidence? I was always, I was always comfortable. Like from the first time I was whatever, 14 or 15, like it was never, I was never super nervous. You know, I've, I felt comfortable on stage. I think I always, uh, always, uh, uh, wanted to be the center of attention truthfully, you know, and that, and you're dealing with a kid acting out in school, you know, or trying to get laughs or trying to get attention or, and, you know, I've always been a really sort of loud guy. It's like our house was loud. You had to be loud to be heard. It was like, I don't know. I, I liked, uh, I liked that aspect of it. Um, but I mean, the confidence came in, in time, like after doing so many shows and then, and then again, like hooking up with Grant and Joanna, especially. And once that started rolling and then we made a record and we did some shows. And then after the, after that, like that really made it me feel much more confident. You know, I think I was always comfortable, but the real confidence came from that and watching other real seasoned performers and, and how they would act on stage, you know, kind of taking cues from, from veterans. These days I kind of see you and I think you see yourself as more of a, more of a performer than a, than a songwriter or anything like that. Like it's more about doing the best show with, with the right songs. And that often isn't your songs. Am I correct in that? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, on a typical show, I mean, I don't know, 40% of the songs maybe would be ones that I wrote. Maybe less sometimes, you know, like especially if we're doing like a theme or something. And yeah, I mean, I wish I wrote more songs. And I think a lot of the songs that I, I have written are maybe not suited for the band, you know, maybe they're, you know, and I do have a whole batch that we haven't played together yet that, that I've written. So I don't know, but yeah, I think the emphasis has always been on being a performer. And I also do a lot of songs that like friends have written, you know, um, so a little like not, a, not as conventional of a cover song, but people that don't go on tour or, per, or perform live that often and who have really good songs, like Neville hasn't left Winnipeg in like nine years, but you know, I've played his songs all over the country. Uh, Andrew Neville, a bit of a local, uh, local legend is his great songwriter, great performer. And, uh, yeah, he's just, <laughs> you can only ever see him at the times changed. <laughs> pretty much now it's been it's really been like nine years since he was on the road but yeah i mean as far as that goes like be, being a performer has has been the been the uh sort of more of the focus uh i mean i would like to get to a point where you know maybe 75 percent of the night are songs that i wrote and i don't think that that's too far off you know if, if we were still going at it right now hard like i got a whole bunch of tunes that I, that i that i haven't introduced yet so it'll it'll grow but also, like, you know, I've said this, I think, to you before, or at least on the radio, that I think part of the job that, that we've sort of uh, uh, assumed the role of, like, as this honky-tonk band is like, well, we got to have a, a trucking record, and we got to have, like, a drinking record, and we got to have a tribute record. You got to check all these boxes. Uh, at least I want to do that, and uh, an instrumental record. And, uh, and, you know, part of that is also not being like overly nostalgic about the past or anything, but, but like, like preserving the sounds and, and presenting the old material, maybe in a bit of a different way, but still, you know, preserving that material for today and sort of introducing that stuff and the niche, you know, truck and country fringe stuff that we do so much of, like, I don't know. I just think that those songs are great and, and I want to sing them for people, you know, like, I don't know. I get really, I, I feel, I truly feel, uh, like sincerely lucky to sing like a Porter Wagner song, you know, and it's not something every other band does. And so if I can do that, like, I think you're giving people a sort of a watered down, uh, cocaine and rhinestones slice of country music history, you know? Uh, you've always been, uh, you've always seemed like a hard touring guy or, or certainly a regular touring guy, but pre pandemic, how much, how much of your time are you spending on the road? Like no less than four months of a year. You know, like if you're talking about always scattered, like I was thinking about this the other day, like after we put out that Taverns record in 2018, March of 2018, I was like gone for, you know, until the end of 2019. So that would always mean like at least three weeks in the spring, like in March, usually two or three weeks with a band. And then the always gone April, May for four weeks on a solo tour. I do a little thing sometimes in June, you know, five or 10 days, always three, four weeks in July always a little run in August, always one in the fall. So it really adds up, you know, four to five months of the year, like in total uh, away from town. Yeah. So you're, you're doing all this touring and you're, you're playing again, bars and taverns and honky tonks. Like, are you comfortable at that level or are you trying to build up the show to get to another level? I don't, I don't know what the next step would be. Um, would be maybe like, um, what, yeah, like yes and no. 
Like I love playing those places. Like I would love to play a 90 or 120 seat times changed venue like five nights a week. Like that would make, I would be happy with that. It is nice to play a nice room sometimes, you know, like on the road, we'll play like, you know, something like a smaller version of like the West End or, or like, I really actually like the small rural community halls where they can still fit a couple hundred people in there in a small community. And, and it's an old school type of show. Like I like doing those. Um, I don't love the house concerts, but they're sometimes they're really good. You know, um, I do love, I do love playing music in a bar, in a, in a, in a, in a dive bar. I don't like playing music outside. Uh, I don't like watching music outside. Of course, the last year or so has changed that a little bit, but if I had to, you know, I feel like the, the music that we play should be played in a bar at night and, uh, and people should be kind of drunk and dancing and having a really good time. And, and that's kind of what I like. I think, I think the next step realistically would just be playing all of them would have more people in them you know that would be the next step for me you know it's canada's tough man i think truly it would be playing in the in similar like comparable venues in the united states would feel like a real step up i think for me your plan for last year was very different than it turned out like for most people i know you had a plan to go and and kind of record your dream album in the u.s can you talk a bit about that and uh sort of <laughs> how the dream died when the pandemic came on or did it die? Is it just on a hold? Uh, I'm going to do that at some point, like hopefully next fall. So I spent like my entire adult life uh, pre-planning, you know, even when I was kind of, you know, misguided, I was still planning my life like a year ahead of time, right? Like for, for where I'm going to go, how am I going to play there? Who's going to come with me? All that shit. Uh, so we had like, we got married in uh, August of 2019 and like neither of us have ever held a civilian job or anything, but this is like very sort of like got married, bought our house, decided we were going to start a family. Like it was all kind of, we were being very conscious in, in what we were doing. So it was like, we were going to try to try to like start to have a family and I, and I was going to go make this record in April, 2020. And like, you know, then we were, we would have a child in the summer and I would kind of be here. We would both be here. And then I would go on the road like right now, you know, or something. So, so obviously like none of that stuff turned out. Like it was, you know, it was really tough. Uh, my wife had a miscarriage early in the year and then, we that was like horrible and then we went to europe for a few weeks in february and then we came home and it was like covid and i was like still planning on going to texas like so everything changed right and then i'm planning to go to texas and then like the day after i start making these firm plans for my travel it was like you can't go so so everything was like it was really tough there was a few weeks where i didn't really leave the basement here it was like pretty, pretty tough, you know, cause everything had been planned and like these big, huge steps and like significant steps in our lives had been planned and planned together for the first time. I was like, not just thinking about myself, you know, I was including someone else. And, and, uh, so that was really hard. Like, uh, and, uh, I think I got out of that by, by like, again, you're also used to having something to do or something to look forward to. And then there's none of that. And when you're so busy all the time, it's like such a huge adjustment. So then I thought I would just like, maybe record some songs at home 
And then that turned into that record. Uh, it takes luck to get the best of me. And, and you know what, man, it was really hard. I worked through all that stuff, like really consciously. And I was writing every day and I was like, you know, like documenting how I was feeling. And then I was working on these songs and I was like trying to learn these songs. And, uh, and it was like, there, it was therapeutic and it turned out really, really good too. So it was good in the end, but you know. Yeah, it's a it's a great record, yeah. Thank you. And I'm really proud of that. Like like I said, I was just gonna do a couple songs, like just for something to do. And then I was like, well, I could just do the whole record. Like I could do a whole record here. And it was nice to include all the people that I included, you know, like everyone that's on there had spent time with me on the road or on the in the studio before. Even like the the guy that did the cover art, like he had done a lot of touring with me. So it was really cool. Like, you know, it felt like I don't think I was, I don't know if I was conscious of it at the time, but it was like, you're like connecting with these people and reconnecting with them and, and having a conversation through the music with them. And, you know, we weren't able to do that. And it felt like, you know, it's, you know, it felt like it felt like maybe we would soon, but is, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So in the end, like it was horrible and, uh, and it was hard, but like it turned out, turned out positive and there's something to show for it and uh and i'm still gonna go to texas and make that record with those guys when i can when it feels like it's safe and smart to do it but you never had that thing where you thought well maybe i need to do something else now either financially or you know just to have a normal life at some point where i'm not always on the road and not always doing that thing did did you go through those steps of reevaluating and think what else can i do with my life that's hard because i like I don't know what else I could do, you know, like, like, I don't, I don't really have, you know, like I, I graduated high school, but I've, I've never, never did anything after that. And I don't, I don't have any job experience. Like I've talked to Grant about this. It's like, what are we going to do? Like, you know, it's not like I'm against getting a, some kind of a gig, but like, what, what would it be? And, uh, so, so no, it's been, I mean, it's, that might be a serious thing to think about soon, you know? Uh, but I, I, I don't know what the hell I would do. Yeah, so you've you've just stayed resolved and trying to figure out, you know, how to get by until you can go back to doing what you do best. Yeah, and I'm not like I'm not unfamiliar or uncomfortable with a little bit of suffering or struggle, you know. Like, <laughs> it's true. Like, you know, like so, and and I'm pretty good at trying to be objective and 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 day at a time and positive, you know. And the not drinking thing like, has really been been helpful because I'm so used to just being with the, with a day at a time mentality, right? And it's like, especially especially now where we're at with the pandemic, it's like it's it's irresponsible to make predictions about what it's going to be like in three weeks. So let's just like do our best every day, you know. So I think that's kind of been it, like. I think that I'm confident in what I've been doing in the last year on the radio and on the podcast and with the records that we've done. Like, I think that someday I don't, and this might sound really naive, but I think someday I'll I'll find a way to make money doing one of those things on the side, you know? And I think if I just continue to, to make, uh, work like good work, like when I finish a show, like, and I, and I, you know, I often feel good about what I did, it's like all I can do is make sure that there's hundreds of those shows for someone to listen to or find and then go, okay, like, you know, this guy can do this, whatever this is, you know? So I kind of try to stay positive like that. And, and also like, it'll come back and I'm, I'm not, 
above playing anywhere for any amount of people. There's always going to be somewhere where someone wants to hear some asshole play some songs. And I can be that asshole. I can go, I'll fucking go anywhere. I'll play anywhere. I'll go by myself. I'll bring four people. Like, you know what I mean? Like, cause that's what I do. And I feel I've told other guys this too. And, and, and performers like, we'll be fine. Like we can play on our own, you know? And, and people are going to want to hear that. And whether it's, you know, 20 people in like, uh, some little town or 20 people in Winnipeg, like, you know what I mean? Like, you find a way you find a way um and maybe maybe i'm i'm you know maybe i'm a fool for believing that and i'll be in big trouble someday but i just don't know i don't you know i don't think so as uh corin raymond says there will always be a small time you know there's always <laughs> there's always a need for uh a, a small gathering of people who enjoy music and stuff so so long as you're comfortable with the small time and you there's always going to be a job for you. It's true. And I think, you know, you know, the, the, the bigger that you get, like, then there's a whole new set of problems too, you know, and people with their hands in your pocket. And like, if you're able to exist and and make money doing something that you really enjoy doing, like not making much money, but like, you know, living your life. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's a a little bit successful in and of itself. I, I would say. You're, you're always seem to be like a, a generous guy with your time and your talents, whether it's just, uh, you know, doing boots and saddle and, uh, dedicating yourself to making the show the best it can be. You did a, you did a, a, a record and, uh, kind of used it to raise money for the station. You did another record and gave all the money to John Scholes and the times changed. And I don't know whether you're making any money off the honky tonk times or any of these other things, but, uh, another thing is that you're always kind of giving props to other songwriters, like you mentioned before and stuff like that. Is that, is that, where does that come from that, uh, that generosity and that need to, uh, help other people out instead of just always doing it for yourself? Uh, I think that when I was coming up, like being so young and playing with a lot of older guys and some of them were, were real, real rugged individuals with, with much much different upbringings and stuff. So it was like, almost like I always kind of felt like they're trying to keep you down, you know, or, or like they're not as sort of forgiving or understanding and, uh, maybe like more possessive about their gigs or whatever. I don't know if that's where it comes from, but I feel like maybe a little bit of that where I don't want it to be like that. And like, if someone asks me for contacts cause they want to book a tour, like I'll give you all of the contacts that I have. Like, cause people did, people did that for me, you know, like I have friends that were full-time touring guys that, that gave me all the phone numbers and, and emails and venues to call. And you can drop my name at, you know, this one or that one. And, and like that really helped me out. And if I can do that for anyone like that, that's, you know, I just, I would love to just return that favor. You know what I, you know what I mean? And I feel like there's really good music and I know you know this, like there's really good music and it often falls on the shoulders of people like you or me who are willing to do the time to listen and dig around. And I just feel like people should hear that. Like people should hear good songs and and at least I trust that I have a pretty good taste. So if I think it's good, maybe most of the people that listen to the show will think it's good too. Yeah, I, I think that's great, and, I, and it, it it obviously speaks to the to the confidence that you have because a lot of songwriters are, would be kind of like they would feel threatened by by boosting somebody else's songs up and saying these are great songs because you 
a lot of people need to feel like their songs are the, are the best songs and, and not shine a light somewhere else because you might feel like it would take the light away from you. Yeah, I don't get that. I don't get that. Some people are like w- way too precious about that kind of thing. You know, like who the fuck are you to, to think your your songs are so good, you know, that you can't tell me that the guy down the street might not be better than you. Like, I don't have any time for that. Like, you know, like, uh, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like also I want to do the best that I can do. I made a commitment to do this show every week. I want it to be really good. I don't want to let the people down at CKUW or the however amount of people that listen every week. And like part of that is is playing is playing new music, is playing music by bands that are, you know, coming through on tour even if you don't love them uh or like and playing the music that I love again because you're giving the show some of your own identity, you know, like some of your own personality. So I just, I don't know, man, I think, and, and John has been an inspiration too. Like, you know, his whole thing of like trying to build up these like local regional stars that in his club and, and make it seem like a bigger deal than it is. It's just so it's like romantic for me, you know, like I think, I think, yeah, why not? Like, why can't we do that? And, and tell each other that we, that we like what each other does. And if we don't then, and be able to tell them that too, you know? Uh, how much should we worry about uh, clubs like the Times Change? I mean, I, I know the Times Change after years of never really knowing how long it was going to last seems to be in, in a solid place right now. But how worried are you about the gigs or the places across the country that you love while this is this shutdown lingers on? Like totally worried about a lot of them. Like I, like I, I mean, said before, like not so worried that like there'll always be somewhere to play. But the thing is, is like there's some really great places that come to mind that would be like devastating to lose, you know. Um, and it's and it seems like a, a number of them are are on the verge or like barely getting by. And uh, so yeah, like as this continues on up here, it, it seems it seems likely that some more will have to shut down and that's, that's terrible. Like it's cause the, the, they provide the same thing to those, to those communities that the times change does for us here. You know, like I look to the blues can in Calgary, like I love that place and the ironwood in Calgary too. Both of them serve a different purpose as far as the style of show, but like they're both great venues and they're, they've both been struggling to get by, you know, uh, some of the other ones I haven't heard too much from, but you hope that they're doing all right. You know, like, yeah, I don't know, cause, cause again, a lot of people are 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 like trying to book tours for the winter, and I, and I'm like, is that really gonna happen? Like, is that place even gonna be there? So yeah, no, it's a concern for sure. It's totally a concern, you know, in the, the big picture of of these venues, and then what happens to those spaces after they're no longer venues. It's a crazy fucking business to get in. Is there anything that uh, that fans can do, or or people who uh, care about these things? Is there is there some sort of a united way to uh, protect these venues or help them out, or do we just hope for the best? We hope for the best, and if you know, like if uh, if they're doing fundraisers, I know the Blues Can in Calgary was doing one or is about to do one. Like you know, Ironwood too. You know, but but. but any like you know, like with a with a fun drive it's like any amount counts and helps you know or if you're gonna buy takeout you're gonna get food from there you're gonna buy merch like anything uh because all that adds up and i mean you know john sold a bunch of merch and put that record together and 
that's great. You know, when stuff like that comes up, it's like, you gotta, you gotta step up to the plate if you can, at least I think so. And otherwise I have no idea, man. It's, it's a, it is a, it is a really scary thought because this is still really out of hand. Like, I don't even know if we're going to play this summer. Yeah, that's the thing. You just announced this uh, weekly series at the times changed outside and uh, things they <laughs> spent all this time and money building this huge outdoor stage and everything. And then, well, here we are. It's, <laughs> there's uh, there's no hope for that in, in the immediate future anyway. Yeah, it's a, it's a kick in the shins like every time, man. We were supposed to, you know, we've been postponed several times and... I don't know what's going to happen. You know, it would be nice to to do it. It would, it it this is this is the longest that we haven't been at work, you know. And if it, it's hard to get prepared when when there's no guarantee that it's going to happen. And you're dealing with musicians who so many of them are last minute per people anyway, right? Like I asked Joanna, it's like she hasn't even listened to the songs, you know? She's like I'm not listening to them until I know the gig is going to happen. It's like, hey, you know, I know you won't let me down. So, okay. And I spent time, I was digging in and like learning new tunes and working on them. And then it's, you know, last couple of weeks, it's been tough to, to get motivated to, you know, to put in the time. It'll come. You've, uh, you've taken on all kinds of projects over the, pa- uh, the pandemic. Uh, well, obviously you were doing boots and saddle before, but, uh, you, it certainly seems like you've poured even more into that than you, uh, you, you started writing for the honky tonk times and, uh, you started this uh, this new Northern Report podcast. Uh, what else is there? What what else are you going to do? Is that enough? It's got to be enough for now. I, I uh, my cup is full. The Honky Tonk Times just came out of nowhere. Uh, Taylor's the guy who started it. He got a hold of me like in November or December, and then it kind of went dark. And then he came back, and it was like he was he was ready to roll. So we started, you know, he's, there's a few DJs that are writing columns. None of us are getting paid. Everyone's just putting their time in and he asked me to do it. And he kind of pitched me the idea and I thought it was really cool. And I thought it would be like another good way to spread the word about boots and saddle and about myself for when the time comes, when I do get to go back down there, you know, it's a kind of a good introduction. Oh, you know, you're the guy from the honky tonk times or you're the guy that writes about the Canadian thing. Yeah, that's me. Now come to my show or whatever, or don't, but, uh, you know, so that's kind of like, and, and, and again, like I thought I knew what was going on. I thought I had my finger on the button or the pulse or whatever. And it's like, no, you know, like got to dig around. There's, there's other people out there that are really, really good and you might not know who they are. And, uh, so that's been really good about the honky tonk times. And then I've always wanted to do the podcast. The podcast has been something I want to do for a long time, uh, but I originally wanted to do it sort of centered around Winnipeg and Winnipeg artists and like trying to get to the, the bottom of like, how come there's so many good musicians here, you know? And I was like encouraged by people like, no, you can't just do it, you know, locally, you got to do more. Like, you know, you play in all these other cities. Why don't you feature them? And so just kind of never, never came to fruition and then once i started writing for the honky tonk times i thought it was like a perfect way you know it was easy i'll just interview all the people that i've written about and now we've written four columns and i've like just done way too many interviews now now i've like i took a lot on i had friends that were telling me like you're crazy i was downstairs like putting in eight hour days like every day my wife was like you know i need help in the yard you know you gotta have other things going on it's dark and you know, cold down there. So 
So anyway, yeah, no, I don't, I don't know if I have time for anything else right now. I, I, I'm really trying to make the podcast good and, and strong and I'm trying to be consistent with the boots and saddle as well. And, and, uh, and like trying to remember to, to sing and play, you know, as that's such a good release too. Like, that's a good thing. Hopefully. Yeah. With all these things going on, hopefully you're finding time to practice or learn new songs or write new songs as well. I think that like sometimes for me, at least when there's a bit of that sort of break away from it or when it's not your primary focus, then when you come back to it, like there's all these ideas, you know, and I usually sort of have an idea and then oftentimes I'll like put it down and go for a walk and I'll, and things will get done in my head on the walk and I kind of come home and like finish the song or whatever, you know? just a little bit of a step away from it and then uh and then you know maybe there's some songs so it'd be nice to to hammer some more out this summer i, I think that's kind of the plan like i gotta get get on a bit of a schedule with the playing and stuff and uh and just try to make time for everything because you know pretty hard on myself uh, expect expect a high quality you know i you know i if i wasn't doing this stuff jeff like i i would i would go a little crazy like i would start it, it would things get a little like when i don't i didn't when I, when there was no gigs and i didn't know when they were going to come back there's darkness like there's like you know what what am i what am i doing like am i useful at all and it's like yeah you know you are and find some shit that you are into doing and no matter how many people are going to hear it or or listen to it like it's going to be there and if and if it if you're standing by it and believing in it and it's giving you something it's like that's that's got to be Someone else has got to be picking up on that. And so I'm just doing stuff, you know, and uh, and I hope that people dig it. And uh, but, you know, m- maybe it'll take some time. And uh, yeah, that's that's fine. I'm just going to keep doing it because I've, I've got to. John Burns may not be famous internationally or even nationally, but he's content being known regionally and especially municipally. I like to think that the kind of talent that Sean and his band members possess and the kind of passion and generosity that he embodies can't stay a secret forever. One of these days, the world is bound to take notice, but until then, you can catch Sean Burns somewhere, sometime, in a tavern, bar, or honky-tonk near you. Check out his website for more information. Visit seanburns.ca. You can buy any one of Sean's 10 great albums at seanburns.bandcamp.com. Listen to his wonderful radio show, Boots and Saddle, and his Northern Report podcast in all the usual places, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. You can read his column in the Honky Tonk Times by ordering copies from thehonkytonktimes.com. You can find this show, Fly With Your Shadow, on social media and on all major podcast providers and by going to flywithyourshadow.com. On the website, I post each show's music credits and links and more information. I welcome and appreciate your feedback and suggestions anytime by emailing flywithyourshadow at gmail.com. As always, I'd really appreciate it if you would tell someone about this show to help spread the word. That personal recommendation is the best kind of advertising, and that effort on your part would be so powerful and greatly appreciated. I'm Jeff Robson, and I thank you for listening, and I hope that you'll join me next time 
on Fly With Your Shadow. Hey, this is Sean Burns. I'm about five foot ten, and I love country music. I'm under six feet tall. I grew up in Oshawa, Ontario, and call Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada home now for about eight years. I'll say anything you want. I'll say anything you want. <laughs> I'm a I'm a uh, podcaster. I'm a broadcaster. I gotta see that. I gotta get that into the show. I'm a podcaster. I'm a broadcaster. Get the real like. Uh, like preacher thing happening, which is, you know, not dissimilar to the kind of way that I approach it anyways, you know? <laughs>